listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. It is designing organizations to celebrate innovation, to celebrate creativity, to celebrate exploiting these ideas, to foster an environment where we're attracting creative people, we're feeding their creativity muscles with our creative environment, and we are taking many swings at the plate. If we're missing, that's fine. We're ambidextrous. We're asking people to explore, and then once they explore, we're saying, let's exploit that. And the swings at the plate, guess what? We're missing 10 out of 12 times. It's okay. Because the two that hit are big hits, and we're doing a great job. And we just created a new product. We created a new process that saved millions of dollars. So we're going to continue doing that. We have idea champions. We have idea incubators. We're fostering a spirit and a philosophy of, of entrepreneurs within our organization. It's almost paradoxical to have an organization filled with entrepreneurs. So you will see today in me sort of a different side because change and innovation has a lot to do with entrepreneurship. The reality of change and innovation in our lives, whether we like it or not, it's always going to persist. We will always be in some way either evolving as humans or we'll go through a process of an organization through a life cycle. The life cycle could either be progressing towards a direction of prosperity and growth or the life cycle would be in the opposite direction towards decline and non-existence. So when we think about this first question, why is change important for an organization? What were some of the things that you guys thought about? Adapt, that's a great word. So I guess I reframe the question is why is adaptation important for a company? Testing new things, expansion, growth, innovation, time efficiency, but why are those things important? What about those things would an organization need? If we're growing, that means we're not doing what? We're not failing. So at least we're on a path towards growth and not on a path towards failure. So you're saying in order to do that, we need to innovate, we need to change, we need to adapt. So there's internal factors within an organization, which we've talked about, and then there's external factors within the environment. There's also external factors within the industry, but when environmental external factors impede on the organization, change is inevitable. When government policy, when Russia invaded Ukraine. Think about the adaptation that was needed with that. When the pandemic hit, when the public transportation is going to build a, a stop here in Doral, it's going to change the way the school runs their, their situation. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but these kinds of forces impact our organization. When decisions are made external from our organization that we cannot control, they eventually bleed into how we operate our business. That's really one of the key reasons why change is important for a company. And if you think about it from a personal perspective, would you want to work for Coca-Cola, the same Coca-Cola and the same exact philosophies and people and processes from 1965? As an individual, would you, would you want to work for that company? Change and innovation and growth is just as much for the success of the business as it is for the success of the people within the business. And if an organization doesn't embrace change or structure their company to 
adapt to change or have internal processes that make change easier, it might be harder for an individual that has a propensity towards growing and learning and innovating to thrive in such an organization. That to me is one of the, the biggest takeaways because I want to be within organizations and I want to run organizations and I want to build organizations that innovate, that make things better, more about what change is, what innovation is, and what building a business and entrepreneurship is all about. So now we're moving from organization to our personal lives. So if we formidably establish that we know that change is important for our organizations because external variables are going to come in because organizations evolve and they adapt, they go through life cycles. So therefore change and innovation is, is good. From a personal perspective, how do we adjust to change and innovation in our personal lives? So when there's a new iOS software on your iPhone, who is one to say, wow, new software, and you press the button and you want to update it right away? Who does that? So it just kind of shows that some people, yes, they want it, they want change, and that's a small example, but others, they're okay with the way things are. How do you adjust to change in your personal life? Teachable, open-minded, setting up a schedule that maybe has some flexibility in it, unfreezing, <laughs> refreezing. I'm conditioned to do something in a certain type of way. I'm even conditioned to give this talk in a certain kind of way. But learning something new, adjusting to it, like I'm about to do right now, it, it takes some time to unlearn it, do something different, and then put that into these talks moving forward. New goals. If change is inevitable and the pandemic just hit our, our nation, now maybe my goal is not to go to the gym every day and do certain things. Maybe it's just movement. Maybe it's just 20 minutes. If these external variables of the economics and inflation increases, my goal isn't maybe to save the way I was saving before, it's just to not go into debt. It could be a different goal based on external factors. So readjusting and reconsidering our goals based on change. So I'm gonna ask some questions. It's really gauging us of taking a moment to know yourself and how innovative are you? The word innovative. And I'll just briefly define the difference between creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurship. And we'll just talk about creativity and innovation. Creativity is generating novel ideas, looking at things from different perspectives, figuring out ways to think differently, think new. Write down the number 14. I said write it in as many different forms and fashions as you possibly can. The number 14. How would you approach that? Hopefully, at this point, you sort of are starting to think differently. What's one way to write down 14? Roman numeral. A 10 and say a 4. Cursive. Graffiti style. 1 4. <laughs> That's a way. 7 plus 7. Another way to draw 14. Or Roman numeral 14. You could probably keep going on and on. Yeah. So, what that is, is creativity. That's looking at a particular way of doing something in a totally novel, new kind of way. Creativity. Then when you go to innovation, this pen at one point never existed. And somebody one day at one point decided that they were going to draw a mechanism or manufacture or prototype a mechanism that they thought would replace chalk. So instead of that's the idea, that's the creativity, the novelty of it. And the innovation is actually creating the product and saying, look, it's a prototype. It's here. Voila. Innovation. 
Now from innovation, which is a big leap, which we'll talk about today, it's implementation of change, implementation of innovation, and then creating an atmosphere where creativity and innovation happens all the time. So from innovation to actually sell the product, now we have to develop a business model, develop a business plan, implement the change, unfreeze, change, refreeze. We have to go through these processes of, of business creation, creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship. So that's what being innovative is, is going past the creativity, but actually doing something about it, actually adopting creative thought, putting creative thought out, out there into the world and creating prototypes, changing your Facebook profile to be something different, encouraging your family to go to an event that's new, not just, oh, I have an idea, let's do something new this Friday, but actually doing it, innovating. Okay, so here's the question. How innovative are you? Think about your current life. Indicate whether each of the following items is mostly false or mostly true for you. So you're either gonna say mostly true or mostly false. Number one, I am always seeking out new ways to do things. Mostly true or mostly false. Number two, I consider myself creative and original in my thinking and behavior. Mostly true, mostly false. Number three, I tend to be slow to accept a new idea. Mostly true, mostly false. Number four is I rarely trust new gadgets until I see whether they work for people around me. It's like the iOS thing. Why would I? I'm not gonna download it until all the bugs are fixed. Number five is I am usually one of the first people among my peers to adopt something new. Mostly true or mostly false. Number six is I like to feel that the old way of doing things is the best way. Mostly true or mostly false. Number seven is in a group or at work, I am often skeptical of new ideas. Mostly true or mostly false. Number eight is I typically buy new foods, gear, and other innovations before other people. Mostly true or mostly false. Number nine is my behavior influences others to try new things. Mostly true or mostly false. The last one, 10, is I like to spend time trying out new things. Mostly true or mostly false. And so the scoring and interpretations, innovativeness reflects an awareness of the need to innovate and a positive attitude towards change. Innovativeness is also thought of as the degree to which a person adopts innovations earlier than other people in their peer group. Innovativeness is a positive thing for managers today because individuals and organizations face a consistent need to change. One, two, five, eight, nine, and 10. How many of those did you mark mostly true? So three or greater would be pretty innovative. And then did you mark mostly false for items three, four, six, and seven? So basically what it's saying is one, two, five, eight, nine, and 10. If you're innovative, you want to mark those mostly true. For three, four, six, and seven, if you're innovative, you want to mark those mostly false. So if you add them up, one, two, five, eight, nine, and 10, the mostly trues, how many did you get? And then if you add up the mostly false to three, four, six, and seven, that gives you your innovativeness score. So a score of eight or greater indicates that you are very innovative and likely are one of the first people to adopt changes. A score of four to seven suggests that you are average or slightly above average in innovativeness compared to others. A score of zero to three means that you may prefer the tried and true and hence be slow and skeptical about adopting new ideas or innovations. So for number three, it says, I tend to be slow and ex to accept new ideas. If you're saying mostly false to that, then you're innovative. You're not slow. On four, it says, 
I rarely trust new gadgets until I see whether they work for people around me. If you say mostly false, then that means you're innovative. So for let's say five, it says, I am usually one of the mo one of the first people among my peers to adopt something new. If that's true, then you're innovative. Is it important for us as managers to be innovative in our personal lives? Matt, I can't answer. The point is, managers nowadays, being innovative is pegged a good thing. So if we're innovative in our personal lives and we're willing to take some risks, we're willing to do something new, we're willing to change, typically from a managerial position, that's a good thing. Does anybody see how that could be a bad thing? If managers are innovative, yeah, there should be some logic to the innovation. It should just be haphazard, just done because for the sake of innovation, it should be done for the intention to make the company better, to make more money, to give raises to the people, to stay in this growth pattern, to not go into the decline stage. So innovativeness could be a good thing, but it could be a bad thing. And I think what I'm trying to say is it depends. Most organizations now, because of the speed of digitalization, because of the speed of globalization, because of the interconnectedness of businesses, being more innovative tends to be more prosperous. And so now we say, okay, how do we do that? And that's kind of what we'll talk about today. And organizational innovation is the creation of a new idea, solution, or behavior by an organization. Disruptive innovations are different than just innovations. Disruptive innovations, what does the word disruptive mean to you? So if it disrupts, something, what does it do? It, it breaks it. it. It breaks through it. It changes it completely. The, a hurricane disrupts everything in its path. A tornado disrupts everything in its path. So a disruptive innovation is typically a, a small, novel idea that, that makes sense that takes form and just completely changes an industry. For example, Uber would be a disruptive innovation. Amazon Prime is a disruptive innovation. Netflix is a disruptive innovation. Completely put video stores out of business. These are things that start small, but they totally disrupt an industry. That's a disruptive innovation. We know that change is good. We know that change is needed. We understand that there are certain factors within our personal lives that bring us towards this propensity of innovativeness. And now we have to understand, okay, what are some ways in which we can adopt this innovativeness into our organization when you think about an ambidextrous approach, which is you're, you're batting with the left hand, you're batting with the right hand. You can, you can go this way or you can go that way. You're designing something that's both explorative, explorative, like I, I go out and explore these concepts and I can see change. I can see something different. I encourage people to go out of the house and look for new food sources. I encourage you to go start that new business plan. But at the same time, once you explore it, you can exploit it. So when I find something, now my organization will resource whatever I just found in order to exploit that thing I just explored. That's ambidextrous. Not only are we exploring new ideas, but when we find a new idea, we can exploit them by developing the resources and business model and concepts to make that idea happen within our organization. So if you think about a company that is a farming business and they're looking for new ways to slaughter their cows. Now, that's not a great way to see it, but if you're, if you're asking, hey, how can we make this process better? And people are going out there and looking for ways to make it better, and you're the owner of that business or the management team, and they bring that idea back to you and say, hey, we think that if we bring in this new machinery or if we partner with this new vendor, based on the information we've gathered, we believe it's going to decrease our, our time of, of slaughtering and packaging and putting this 
this meat into stores by 20%. But the owner says, oh, thank you for that information. We're just going to keep doing it as we've always been doing. So that would be explorative, but not. So exploiting something is taking advantage of it. So you have this novel idea. You're exploring these new concepts. Now, are you implementing it and actually taking advantage of these new concepts? That's an ambidextrous organization. This is a quintessential goal of entrepreneurial organizations is change, or it's really ideation, creativity, innovation, and then entrepreneurship. It's actually doing something about this innovation. Now that you have the idea, is the idea being nurtured? Is the idea being implemented? And I'm sure, I know, I have had a, a numerous amount of organizations, leaders, companies that have encouraged me to be creative. But in the creativity process, when the innovation came to fruition, when it came time for resourcing and implementation, I said, uh, you know, we're not sure we're going to go that far. So why, why am I wasting my time? Why am I acting creative, acting innovative, and then there's no exploitation of that? It's an important takeaway. So three different types of innovations. You have a product innovation, which would be a new cell phone, a new sneaker that makes you jump higher, a, a new chair that's more comfortable to sit in. That's a product. And obviously, we know that these products create value. They solve needs in the marketplace. And so that would be a product innovation that we then exploit. But then you have a process innovation, which is like the example I gave with the cows, finding new ways to manufacture or to slaughter these, these cows so that we can shorten the time, save money, and make more money. So that's the process. I was on a team with the National Science Foundation, and we recently ended a cohort, and their process innovation, which was a patentable process, was, was a cognitive recall of contact tracing. I, was, I touched 20 people today. I talked to five. Here's where I was. Here's who I was with. So if I was diagnosed with an infectious disease, then I go through this process of contact tracing. And the way in which they designed it was a better process than any contact tracing in the past. So I was on this team and it was a process innovation. That's what it was. It wasn't a product. It was a process. So that process is in itself innovative. When you think about these platform companies where you Airbnb, Uber is obviously one of them and some of these uh, companies where they have grocery shoppers and then they have people who need groceries and they put them together. They're really not providing anything just but just a process for people to do an app, go on, put their need on there for that information to get to the person in the store, and it just designs the process. It's, a, it's not a product. They're, they might be selling a digital app, but they're not even selling it. It's free. But the process in which you get your groceries changes, and they match people together. Oh, we can go on and on with ways, manufacturing facilities, when you think about uh, globalization and our global mindset and doing business in other countries, a lot of that just, just going into another country is a process that we have to under, undertake in order to exploit an opportunity. So we're always thinking about creativity, innovation, and exploitation, which would be the entrepreneurship concept. So there's stages of innovation and discovery, which I like calling ideation, is creativity, bottom-up approach. But what's a bottom-up approach? So we now have a company and there's 100 people working for us. And Sophia is the manager of this company. She wants to make sure she has an innovative organization. Therefore, she says, okay, we're going to be creative here. We're going to solicit new ideas. And who are we going to ask for new ideas from? Everybody or just some people, frontline employees would be a bottom-up approach, ensuring that the people at the lowest levels of the organization 
are capable of communicating creative thought to the higher levels of an organization for the discovery phase. And then you have these idea incubators where you could, within an organization, have space to get together with your colleagues and coworkers to actually look at some of these problems, these hairy things that you want to change and have time to do it. Who, who, who gets paid to come up with ideas? Not a lot of people, academics maybe, and thought leaders, influencers, but in organizations, they intentionally design discovery around creativity, bottom-up approaches, internal contests, idea incubators, and technology change so that we now have ideas for new products, services, and processes. And another way to do it is horizontal collaboration and open innovation. And so this is when we look to the external environment and horizontal collaboration and open innovation for customers and partners to join in on this party of creating new ideas, of coming up with new solutions, and, and you just sharing your information, people share information back, and but instead of just doing it internally, we're now doing it externally. It's called horizontal collaboration, open innovation. And then the last one is innovation roles and structures within a company. This is one of my favorites. You have people and, and you design an organization to be innovative, where you don't have to do anything or incentivize people differently once you design an organization that's innovative because you just have an innovative organization. You've designed a climate, a workplace, you've been rewarding people to do new things, to change over time, so idea champions. The concept of idea champion is not, it's not a title. If you're a part of a household, you have five brothers, five sisters, you have 10 siblings, you're one of 10, and amongst your brothers and sisters, you all share one car. One of you has an idea that you're gonna get a van, and you want to get a van, you think this is a great idea. And a few people may agree, some people don't. But in order to get that idea to make its way into exploitation, to actually take that idea to fruition, to pull the money and go and purchase the van, somebody needs to champion that idea. Somebody needs to stand up and say, I believe this is the way we should go, siblings. And because we're going to be able to have all of us in there, we can share the car, we can bring our friends, we can, Johnny, you're playing baseball, the baseball team, you know, who knows what the reasons why but somebody has to champion it. If nobody champions it, it may not happen. Same thing with ideas and organizations. There should be somebody assigned to saying, oh, that's a good idea. You're gonna champion that idea. Okay, ready to go. New venture teams, this is cool. Within a company, you actually create a company to capitalize on ideas and innovation. Skunk Works is the, one of the first examples of that. It's kind of a weird name. If you're in a corporation and you hear you have a Skunk Works team, these, these are people that are leading other ventures within the organization to inflict change, to have. So we're working for Walmart and Walmart has an idea that they're going to build a very small store and it's only going to be for certain types of people and their, their store is going to be completely robotic and there's going to be nobody actually working in the store. It's an idea. And they'll, they'll create a Skunk Works team, a company within a company, to execute on that idea. And if it fails, it fails. That team goes and works somewhere else. We talked about these, what do they call it? A task force teams. A skunk work task force, new venture within an organization is, is kind of what we're talking about. So the question is, are our companies doing that? Do we have, are we structuring these organizations to do that kind of stuff? So all of those three things, discovery, horizontal collaboration, open innovation, innovation roles and structures lead towards new products, services, and processes the types of innovations that we talked about. Do you think some of those things that we just discussed, do you think those would lead towards an organization not dying and failing and being innovative? They're sort of risky, aren't they? 
you're going to pay people to sit around and come up with ideas that might or might not work. And then if they do come up with an idea and they all agree to it and there's an idea champion and you're the manager and that idea champion comes to you and says, okay, we got an idea and we want to do it. Would you do it? So th this is a, a major question to really reflect on and think about is we know that this is a good idea. How, how then do we create an organization that makes these things happen? And then when we create an organization that makes those things happen, how do we then exploit those ideas and those new ventures and those things that are happening to make sure our company does what? It grows, makes more money, changes, adapts, doesn't fail. Competition doesn't take us out. And those were tactics that we just talked about. I, I like this conversation because there's, there's theory behind it, the sort of understanding how humans work and why change is good, but there's also practicality to it. To say, okay, great, we want to be innovative. Okay, now what? And they say, okay, here's the now what? One of my favorite charts is this chart right here. And it talks about both the creative individual, which we asked about in this question here, and which we read those questions about. And it talks about the why is change important for an organization. So the creative individual and then the creative organization. So this chart lays out some of those characteristics of what is a creative individual. Persistence. Can we be creative without persistence? It doesn't. We need to be persistent. Commitment. Focused approach. Conceptual fluency. Open-mindedness. Hopefully, as managers that are adopting this concept of change and innovation within our organization, these are the types of people we want to have work for us. Conceptual fluency. Open-mindedness. Conceptual fluency is understanding the big picture, the conceptual thinking, and how managers and CEOs think conceptually. Instead of just deciding that we're going to learn more about change and innovation, in the back of our mind, we're already thinking about ways in which we're going to apply this strategically to our career. Or that, I'll think of a, another situation, we know that in this season of our household that we want to save money because the big picture of me as a provider and a leader of my family is that I want to make sure my children don't have to worry about getting new shoes or, or whether or not they're going to go to karate camp. I'm currently making decisions conceptually on a daily basis. I'm making decisions for a much bigger reason because I can see the big picture. Conceptual thinkers, that's a creative person. Originality, same thing as novelty, something new, original. If you've ever seen a movie with a, a superhero plot, superhero doesn't know they're a superhero, doesn't want to step up to the call, Somebody has to convince them to step up to the call. Okay, I'll step up to the call. They go through a process of training and suffering. And then after the training and suffering, then they finally step up to the call and they have all their powers. They defeat the enemy. The enemy is no longer around and all this other thing. That's the arc of the hero. There's nothing original about that. It's almost every story we ever come up with. But when you think about you know Iron Man and the first movie that he came out with, it was a really original way to portray a hero because he was a jerk. This guy was a total jerk. And then if you bring Iron Man, this guy that not a lot of people really wanted to be around, and then you bring him through a team like the Avengers, and you put him in a group and have a group dynamic where he now has to take a leadership role in a group, and the movie Endgames, if you've seen it, which is really powerful, the jerk turns into the guy who literally sacrifices himself to save the world. So that same jerk went through an arc of a hero got onto the Avengers team, then ended up saving the world. That is an original story. The way in which that happened, lots of originality to that. That was a creative thought process that people had to undergo. 
is Tony Stark going to be the guy? And they knew from the very beginning that this was the way the plot was going. <laughs> and everything he did in his journey was in order to fulfill that role. A powerful, cool, original hero story. So another personality trait is less, less authority. If you really want to have a creative person, do you give them a lot of authority? If you have a lot of authority, you have a lot of people to manage, which means you have a lot of problems, which means you may not have a ton of time. So less authority is a good thing. And then you have independence and self-confidence. Self-confidence, man, let me tell you, in leadership, self-confidence is the number one most important factor. There's a lot of debate around what factors are important in leadership, but we know that self-confidence is important in leadership. And self-confidence is also important in creativity because having persistence, commitment, focused approach, conceptual fluency, open-mindedness, originality, not having a lot of authority, having independence, and then being self-confident, that is a mixture of somebody that's going to have an impact on the organization. You can see why, as we were hopefully taking this apart, why this is such a cool depiction. And this is scientifically proven. The creative individual, based on research, based on studies, this is what the creative individual does within an organization. Playfulness. That's fun. If somebody defines you as playful, what does that mean? Fun. Jokes. Creative. Somebody that's creative typically enjoys games. Social. But a person who is playful doesn't take life too seriously. Is, is looking for moments. Of course, there's serious moments. But when something happens that other people, oh, my gosh. They, they don't they think it's not a big deal or they don't overreact. They're not so rigid. They're capable of laughing and having fun. And, you know, maybe somebody important falls and they go over and pick them up and say, hey, man, I just fell yesterday. Or a funny scene, maybe it's kind of an odd example, is that I think it was Billy Madison, the movie with Adam Sandler. And he was on the bus with uh, these kids. And one of the kids like peed his pants or something in, in the seventh grade. Billy Madison like put water on himself and said, look, I peed my pants too. Who cares? So the point is, it's like, don't take life so seriously. There's fun to life. So that, that's typically what defines a creative person. Undisciplined exploration, curiosity. Are you curious? Yes. What, what, do you, what makes you curious? You, you have questions. You might have a question about what's management or, you know, what's this deal with education? Maybe I should check it out. But there was, a, there was a level of curiosity that, that led you towards that exploration. If we're not curious about people and we don't ask them questions, we'll never build a relationship. If we're not curious about making the world better and not curious about how we can be more effective as an organization, if we're not going to move forward in relational business growth. So that's the individual. But now let's move to the organization. So now you have a whole bunch of people, hopefully, that you have hired and trained and now they're here and they possess some of these creative individual things. You put them in an environment where they're boxed in, where there's structure and there's authority and there's rules and there's regulations and there's limitations to their creativity and they can't open their wings and fly. That creative person, if they're confident, is going to leave. <laughs> I hope so. Or they're not very creative because they're not confident. They're, 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 they're not gonna, it's not going to work. So then how do we design organizations to, to cater to this? And here's the question. And these are cool things that as managers you can design. Hopefully, as people that are looking for organizations to join, you're looking for these things. Number one is open channels of communication. If you walk into a meeting within an organization you work with or whatever, and they say, oh, you can't, you can't be in here. Well, how do you know I can't be in here? First of all, why is the door closed? You know, it's not an open channel of communication. But 
we all get an email communication every single Friday that kind of talks about some of the events that happened this past week. And it's just communication. It's cool pictures to look at, comes from the leader of the organization. It's a good example of open communication. It's a one-way communication. So that if I responded to that email, would I get a response back? If I had a question about something, or what if I had something that I wanted to communicate to everybody? Am I allowed to do that? That would be open communication. Contact with outside sources. That's like that horizontal discovery mechanisms, customers, partners, open innovation. Overlapping territories, cross-pollination of ideas across disciplines. What is cross-pollination? The finance department have them mix it up with the marketing department. It's taking leadership and having them work a day in the field. They're, they're cross-pollinating. So we're talking about a creative person working in a creative organization. And in order for a creative organization to be creative, we need to, like we talked about here, discovery, a bottom-up approach. A, a tactic would be a suggestion system. Are we asking people what they think? Are we allowing them to communicate to us? Brainstorming sessions. Let's get together as a group, guys. Okay. What do you guys think? Put your ideas on a piece of paper. How do you feel about this? Do you think we should have this or this? Ideation. Assigning non-specialists to problems. Hiring outside your comfort zone. If you are a finance person and you're constantly annoyed by the QuickBooks software, you just can't, you can't seem to solve the issue, then why doesn't somebody come in that isn't a part of the finance department, doesn't think like you, doesn't act like you? Maybe they're in product development and you invite them into your brainstorming session and say, hey, here's some issues we have with our accounting software. We can't seem to fix this problem. They might be able to help you. That's assigning non-specialists to problems. And then hiring outside of your comfort zone is the guy that came in for an interview. It was a little wild. Didn't seem like he took a shower for two days, but man, he was good. He was smart. He was with it. He was kind. He was cordial. It's a little different. It's not really what this organization, the, the, the prototype we would put here in this organization. But you know, I think we, I think we should take a shower. Not typical. A little strange. Man, but this guy, he's got something to him. He's got that grit. He's got, he's got that extra level, that next level. So that's hiring outside your comfort zone. Is your organization doing that? Or does everybody in the organization, when a new guy comes in, a new girl comes in, it looks like this. Oh, a new girl, pretty much you're probably from this place and probably you know wear this and you probably go to this for dinner. It's the same person. That's not a creative organization. Decentralization, loosely defined positions, loose control. We talked about structure. When you have a decentralized decision-making structure, I just gave you the answer. So therefore, they can make decisions easier. The decision doesn't have to go all the way up to the top every single time there's a major decision. Instead of saying, okay, every single decision we make in the world needs to report to the US office. No, each one of those different countries has its own structure where you only have to go to the, the country head. Country head doesn't need to go to anyone else. And the way in which they operate depends on the country. Okay, so we got loosely defined positions, loose control, decentralization, Acceptance of mistakes, rewarding, risk-taking, and reducing fear. Acceptance of mistakes, rewarding, risk-taking, reducing fear. Huge. Accepting mistakes. If I'm in an organization and I take a risk and I put myself out there to do something that could potentially propel the organization towards something great, but I fail and I waste money and a million dollars is gone and the CEO comes to my door and knocks on my door, what do I think is going to happen to me? I would be fired. If I didn't work for a creative organization, that would be the case. But if I worked for a creative organization, a CEO come to the office and say, hey, I just want to introduce myself to you. My name's Claude, I'm the CEO of this company. 
I just gave you the most expensive education you'll ever have in your entire life. Congratulations. Get better. Do better. Try again. Now that you've spent a million dollars and failed, you're going to learn from that mistake and you're going to be the best employee I've ever had. That is a creative organization. That's a CEO who gets it. If I was to fire you, what kind of tone does that set for everyone? He took a shot. Do you remember how I described that? Something that might work, something that might take the business to the next level, something that might help our organization become better, sell more products. Ah, but it failed. Sorry, things fail. Take risks. And then, of course, rewarding risk-taking. Am I rewarding people for doing things a little bit risky? Or am I saying, hey, hey, don't do that? Am I, if I, if I did do that thing and say it did succeed, am I flying them out to who knows where to a five-star resort with them and their family for a week vacation? Because they took the risk, they did something, they were successful, and I'm saying, great job. Do it again. I encourage that kind of behavior. Those are the organizations that are creative. Reducing fear, decision-making, and how fear is the biggest enemy to making a decision. If fear is the enemy, what do we want to make decisions on? Facts. So if I'm reducing fear in my organization, don't be afraid. Go out, gather facts, do things, and that helps. People encourage to challenge their bosses. If I say something and you disagree, I want you to tell me. Disagree. Yeah, hey, you did that thing the other day, and I, I don't think that was a good idea, and I, I don't think we should do that anymore. So I, I sat in a board meeting for a condo association, and I'm a director on the board for this condo association. A new president came in, and the president said to me and to everyone else, he said, I want you to challenge me. I want you to refine my ideas. When iron sharpens iron, it's sharper. So he invited the challenge. So that challenged me. I want you to challenge me, and I'm encouraging you to do it to a certain professional degree. And obviously, if you think I'm wrong, I want you to say something. That is what that means to have bosses that encourage you to challenge them. So freedom to choose and pursue problems. At 3M, very innovative company, they have an incentive plan where they say one month of your time here, I'm not sure exactly the specifics, but one month of your time and $10,000 can be spent on whatever new initiative, whatever new idea you have. Every single staff member in that organization spends one month of company resource time and has a budget starting at $10,000 to pursue something new, a new product. And they incentivize them to do it. If you know that's the case, you have to create something new 10 years later, you're literally going to be working, I'll say five years later, everything is going to be new. Meaning the same thing you worked on today, five years from now, everything you're working on today will no longer be something you'll work on. Everything you do is going to be new. So over time, 3M has instilled in the culture of them to create something new every single year. So eventually, they know that they're constantly going to be working on new things. And if they don't create new things, then they probably won't be working. Infuses or behooves them to create new things. It's an incentive structure that 3M has put into all of their employees. So that's how you make sure that people are created through incentive. Not a tight ship, playful culture doing the impractical. We have parties. We, we give out turkeys on Thanksgiving. And, I, and the CEO dresses like a turkey. We, we have an arcade game in the middle of our organization. If you want to design a creative organization, you're going to have to be creative in the way in which you design it. And Google certainly over the years and Amazon is also an extremely creative organization. There's a list. Here it is. 
These are the most creative organizations, world's most innovative companies in 2020. Snap for setting the social agenda. Microsoft for creating teams, good teams. Tesla for earning the poll, whatever that means. <laughs> Big Hit Entertainment for mobilizing and monetizing music fans. Hacker One for putting hackers to work. White Claw for brewing a gender neutral phenomenon. Shopify for enabling the shopkeeper of the future. Canva for unleashing corporate creativity. You know Roblox? For gamifying gaming. Zipline for delivering the most important goods fast. These are, these are the companies that are innovating. Characteristics of innovative companies. Work with customers to understand needs and develop solutions. Use new technology effectively. Shared new product development processes supported by top management. Members from key departments cooperate in the de development of new products or services. Cross-functional team guides projects from beginning to end. Crowdsourcing and innovation by acquisition. Crowdsourcing is what? You're sourcing information from the crowd, from people. So you're, you're going out there and you're asking people for feedback. Like just like this one here. When it says open innovation, it's crowdsourcing. What they're trying to do in Airbnb, Waze, Wikipedia, is they're trying to generate a network effect so that other people contribute to the organization. All of these organizations are that. Waze, how does Waze crowdsource? They, they, they have a billion employees out there, not employees, but people that are contributing to their platform. Huge deal. Kickstarter and GoFundMe are just two good examples of, hey, we need money, we need to raise money, we're gonna ask everybody. Anybody, anywhere, at any time can go on and give us money. Innovation by acquisition. So your company is not very good and it's not very prosperous and you need help. So instead of creating a, a new company within a company or doing all the things that we talked about, you just buy a company that's innovative or you buy a company that has a new product that you want to use. Innovation by acquisition. So coordination model for innovation. This is the ways in which we can have our innovation is not happening within a silo. It's happening within an ecosystem. New technologies, open innovation mechanisms, customer market needs, formal innovation partners, all going into feeding an open source within the organization. And in the organization, we have departments like marketing, research department, and a manufacturing department who are sharing ideas. If you can see these lines in between these departments, Cookie Monster is, is the oval or the circle. The, the gray is cookie monster. Cookie, cookie. These are the cookies. Cookie, cookie, cookie. Eat the cookie. Inside the garbage can, you have a manufacturing department, research department, and a marketing department. And the garbage can is so small, they're all working together. I'm bringing a Sesame Street example up because that's what came to mind first. And they're talking to each other, these arrows. The manufacturing department, research department, and marketing department are eating the cookies from the outside, bringing them into the garbage can, and Cookie Monster's coordinating activity amongst these different departments. This is a coordination model for innovation. Corporate entrepreneurship is everything we talked about tonight. It is designing organizations to celebrate innovation, to celebrate creativity, to celebrate exploiting these ideas, to foster an environment where we're attracting creative people, we're feeding their creativity muscles with our creative environment, and we are taking many swings at the plate. If we're missing, that's fine. We're ambidextrous. We're asking people to explore, and then once they explore, we're saying, let's exploit that. And the swings at the plate, guess what? We're missing 10 out of 12 times. It's okay because the two that hit are big hits, and we're doing a great job. And we just created a new product. We created a new process that saved millions of dollars. So we're going to continue doing that. We have idea champions. 
We have idea incubators. We're fostering a spirit and a philosophy of, of entrepreneurs within our organization. It's almost paradoxical to have an organization filled with entrepreneurs because usually it's the entrepreneur who creates the organization and hires an employee. We're looking at it as, yeah, an entrepreneur created an organization. Now we created an organization. We're hiring entrepreneurs to act entrepreneurially within our company. So people change and cultural change. Organization development is a process of change management within a company. So just like processes, just like products, and, and just like technology needs to change, the organization as a whole needs to look at their culture and say, hmm, man, we need to create a more change-oriented culture. And how do we do that? Organization development is a whole class in itself, but it's really finding ways to teach and train and educate and unfreezing, changing, and refreezing. So organization development is defined as planned systematic process of change that uses behavioral science techniques to create a positive corporate culture and improve the way people and departments relate to one another. You think, okay, we're changed, just we're not typing over here, we're not typing over here, or my department's becoming smaller. No, change is, it's a behavioral thing. It's a core value thing. It's a, it's a behavioral outcome. Are we being kinder towards one another? Are we, are we fostering a spirit of joy and positivity within our, our culture? Are we lying and cheating and stealing from one another relationally? And does that need to, mm, we need to start acting differently? This is organization development. Encourage a sense of community, push for organizational climate of openness and trust. Two huge factors when it comes to being effective in leadership is building trust within your team. And organization development is a form of organizational leadership. And we know that organizations need to change. We know that teams need to be a part of that change. We've started and saying, all right, change is important for our company. We started saying, okay, we're individuals who want to be a, a change-oriented, change-driven person. And now we've gotten to the point where we say, all right, now that we know that these things are important and we need creative people, now how do we design a creative organization? And how do we create an environment of corporate entrepreneurship? Organization development, how do we change our culture? And then make it so that it's a garbage can of variables coming in and you have an operating system that is advocating change, innovation, and growth and prosperity. Now, how do we get people to stop using the phone and start using internet calling. If you think about a person who's been using the phone for 20 years and they pick up the phone and it works like this and dial here, and but you're not saying you're no longer going to use that and you're going to use your computer as a phone. That's a big change for them. So we have to unfreeze them, diagnose problems or opportunities. You have to explain to them. You have to bring them into the decision-making process and say, hey, guess what? we got a problem here. If you think about it, man, the phone is going to cost us too much money. We have space on the desk. Okay, we recognize we have a problem and a need for change. Now we have to motivate them and say, okay, God, we're just going to move over to this screen over here. Let me show you how to do it. You know, Billy over here has been doing it for a couple weeks now. You want to go talk to him on how he's doing it and how his life has improved. Now you're changing. <laughs> now you're unfreezing and you're, you're changing them. Plan the change. You have to say, okay, well, next Tuesday we're taking away your phone and we're going to see how this goes, and then we're going to come back and monitor you. Communicate the change. Train people in new skills and behaviors. Maybe they need to be trained on how to use it. Who's going to do that? Implement the change. Now you have to take away the phone because that's no longer happening, and hopefully they have the application on the computer to call someone. And now once that process happens, which is a painful process, you can think about a ton of examples of you know, what happened when you first learned how to drive. You didn't know how to do it. You had to figure it out. Some people went from sitting in the passenger seat 
to sitting in the driver's seat. It's a big change in one's life. If you ever moved from one house to another house, from one state to another state, if you ever decided that you were going to attend a different school, these are not easy things to do. You have a routine and all of a sudden, boom, you're changing. Then you have to refreeze and it was different. Now you're to the point where you've refroze yourself. You're refreezing. Reward people for new values and behaviors. Celebrate success. Integrate changes into normal way of doing things. You know it. You know what to expect. You went through a change process. You understood some variables. I kind of taught you why it's important to get together as a group and have these conversations. And now here we are learning. That's changing. Understand that we need to communicate this change and educate people on why we're changing, what we're doing about it. Baptist Health right now is going through a major change initiative. And they've been going through a change initiative for a long time. They sent out an email to all of their employees and they're offering anybody who's at a director's level or above, typically people who are a little bit further in their career, an opportunity to take a severance pay and retire early. So they're implementing change. They're restructuring and redepartmentalizing their company. People are concerned. But instead of just ignoring it, they're communicating about it. They're educating people. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. You don't have to quit. We're not firing anyone. We're just, we need to make changes. And we think that this is going to help people leave early who already want to leave. We help them and we help the organization because now we have more room and more staffing and we can departmentalize better. So participating in that change. Prior to un unveiling this change initiative, Mathis went through a whole core value exercise with all of their frontline people. Every single person in this entire organization at one point in time was in a room together discussing these concepts with their respective leaders, with their respective departments, with their respective hospitals. They participated in voicing concerns about what's happening in the organization. It's not a bad thing. It's just natural. How can we get better? Healthcare is changing. Negotiation and coercion. So negotiation is, is saying sort of like that example I just said about, I'll give you this if you give me that. It's sort of a negotiating tactic. If you want somebody to change, you can say, hey, listen, I'll let you take your company vehicle home and you can you can ride it home every single night and it'll be your car uh, if you just show up earlier in the morning. Okay. You want me to change my behavior? You're giving me something? I'll do it. That's a negotiating tactic to get people to change. Coercion is different. I have power. I, I'm going to tell you that you need to do certain things and I'm coercing you to behave. And I'm, we're changing this organization because our leadership team says it's the right thing to do and we're going to do it and it's going to make a big difference. That's coercion. And a lot of times the people who will abide by it say, yes, no problem, I'll do it. But they're not going to be very happy about it in the end. So, but, but it's coercive tactics for change are sometimes necessary. Sometimes they're needed. We just shouldn't start there if we can avoid it unless we have certain situations that it matters. To sum everything up, change, innovativeness, Exploiting the change which be entrepreneurship is vital for an organization. So approaches of taking the top management and having them support change is vital.